Everybody is murderous in their intentions towards everybody else. Again, hold them back! Submit yourself to one all-powerful absolute sovereign. Thomas Hobbes, the great 17th century natural philosopher. Call this... Leviathan! Like shapeshifters, only a lot more into evil folk. And nothing can kill them. Hey, so maybe I'm not real. Hello the internet and welcome to the Lands of Leviathan podcast where we discuss political science and popular culture as always hosted by Peter Sleeman and Brock Roderman. This episode is our second Star Wars episode in light of the recent uh, new Star Wars movie The Force Awakens. Uh, we're very excited to jump on that bandwagon. We think it's going to be pretty cool. But don't worry, we won't be giving away any spoilers in this episode. Yeah, I had to stay away from social media for like two weeks before I watched the movie to make sure I didn't get any spoilers, so we won't do that to you. What we are going to be discussing today is what we promised we would be discussing is the idea of what effect it would have on the real world's international state system if, if the Force existed and Jedi came into being and we had to deal with an international organization like the Jedi Council. Exactly, yeah. So do you want to go through the rules of this hypothetical? Well, I think the way we set it up in our, uh, episode two of our podcast was that we assume that the Force is discovered and exists and that people are Force-sensitive and that some are more powerful than others, so they become Jedi. Uh, we're not going to be discussing how the effects of lightsabers and what that the sale of them on the black market, for example. Yeah. We're just talking about people who are force sensitive and the use of it for light side works. And of course, the existence of dark side or Sith force users. Yeah. Um, and how the real, our current real world would have to deal with that with the Jedi body or an organization running around trying to keep peace and justice throughout our yeah. Galaxy. And there's, I mean, there's a whole bunch of other problems that arise with this type of hypothetical. You've got all the religious concerns. We're not dealing with those. This is strictly an international relations perspective on what happens when you have an essentially independent body with a large amount of power. Yeah, exactly. So in my mind, I've got a couple of assumptions and I want to, I want to see if you agree with me or not. So in, if, if I imagine, okay, in the world, suddenly the force exists. Uh, now we have four senses of people who have access to the force. And start experimenting with that. Um, obviously, in today's day and age, or in any day and age, they would reach out to each other because, and we assume that at some point they would start to organize into some kind of community and uh, begin to train each other. Yeah, so learning how to deal with this new power. Exactly. That community would concern themselves with learning about the power, how to enable and activate that power responsibly, and what they should direct their, their force activities towards. So what should they be using their force skill set to do? Yeah. And since we're talking about a Jedi Council, they are a Jedi, and they'd be using it to keep peace and justice in our world. Mm. So they, they would function something like, I think the closest thing we can imagine is like an Interpol, but they're not necessarily concerned with chasing down wanted criminals. I think they would also concern themselves with keeping things like, um, like trading regulations are enforced in a fair manner and um, interstate war doesn't break out, that a violent conflict is... Is subdued. Yeah, they wouldn't. They would avoid things like violence, war, injustice, uh, social economic exploitation, human rights in, uh, violations, all those kinds of things. I think everything that, as I'm saying this, I'm realizing everything that the UN is supposed to do but doesn't. As long as they were light side Jedi. Well, they would also have to 
be with concern themselves as the primary force against uh, against the Sith. So if Sith did exist, which we're saying that they do, that they would have to combat that to make sure that the Sith don't get out of hand and preferably destroy the Sith. Yeah. But now we're getting into Star Wars canon about who would destroy the Sith and bring balance to the Force, yeah. and we don't really want. We're not going into that. that. Um, I do. I just yeah. want to say a quick thing as well because a question that um, I would immediately ask, and I'm sure our listeners would have is you've got people who can use the Force now, so that's all the physical attributes that you get from using the Force, which is awesome. And what's But why would Jedi or people who use the Force, which we're just going to call Jedi for the sake of simplicity, get involved in politics at all? And I think that the answer to that is that being a Force user is not just about having telekinesis or mind-reading abilities. You are tapping into an energy that runs the entire universe and we're assuming that this energy exists in our universe as well that gives you a sense of the complexity and gives you a sense of wisdom of knowledge of an ability to control events once you have that it's very difficult not to become politically minded as you yeah know. i think what you're trying to say is that when if you have four sensitive uh, and effective skilled people who can use it um it's not like they've just learned a magic trick and they're going to keep it to themselves. It's that they've learned how to connect themselves to the rest of the unit, to the rest of the world, because mm. that's what the force does. And so they would feel an innate uh, compulsion to contribute to that world's well-being and balance. Yeah, and obviously, if you're a Sith or you're a dark side Jedi, it's the it's the compulsion to use that power to bring about the change that you wish to see in the world. So Brock and I have some very differing views on this. Um, let's get into it. This is going to be a very interesting discussion. We're going to do this a little bit differently because for the first time, we're not applying theory to a fictional universe. We're applying a fictional idea to our own universe. Yeah. So Brock and I have some very different perspectives on this. So Brock, I'm going to let you go first and tell first, you know, outline what you think is going to happen in the world with the Jedi Council. I think they're going to be good. I'm, uh, I'm going, I would be completely liberal on, on this. So the liberal theory or the idealist theory in international relations is that people, actors and organizations always act to benefit themselves, but without detrimenting others. They are prone to cooperation and to mutual benefit. So as soon as an opportunity to exchange exists, they would not seek self-benefit at the detriment of others. They would seek self-benefit that uh, in a mutual fashion. So the Jedi would not be concerned with gaining all the power that they could. They would be con- concerned with gaining only so much power as would help them to help other people or help other states or help them do their, do their job. And the reason I say this is, well, first of all, you can see in the, in, in Star Wars episodes one to three that the Jedi do practice quite a lot of self-restraint in international, in, in the running of international order. They don't try and behave like an international police force. They strictly stick to negotiations. And so I think that it would remain true in in our world as well, in the real world, that the uh, Jedi would not seek to overstep their mark. They would only do so much as they think is necessary that, to maintain peace and justice in our world and not do someone else's job. They're not interested in duplicating international responsibilities if someone else like the WTO, for example, could maintain world trade regulations, then they would let them do that. They wouldn't interfere. So I think it would be a good force to have. Okay, before I launch into my rebuttal, 
Uh, what is the organization and, and like the, what is the organizational structure of this international state system look like with the Jedi Council? I don't think it would change the structure of the international system much. I think it it would we would carry on functioning the way we, the way it runs at the moment, but it would just um, have one extra actor involved, and that would be the Jedi Council. Okay, so okay, so I'm just going to jump in here then and just say that that is bullshit, and this is why the Star Wars political organization could never work in any kind of real world sense, and least of all in our universe. The Jedi. The Jedi Council, let's assume that they're all light side, represent a very real power in the world. Um, regardless of their, you know, abilities, they are incredibly long lived. They have a huge amount of, uh, you know, political sway. Not to mention that they can get inside people's minds, pull out state secrets. They have, they have their own military capacity. I mean, a, a squad of Jedi, even without lightsabers, could annihilate an army if they wanted to. And that's not even to mention the fact that they could fall to the dark side. But if I accept your argument, and here I'm going to be going at a completely realistic perspective. And the realist perspective of international relations states that states and international actors never know what anybody else is going to do within the international state system. Therefore, they can never be sure whether another actor is going to be doing something good or bad. Thus, the most logical position to take is one of defense and offense, to make sure that they remain powerful enough to protect themselves against any offensive capability of any other actor in the international state system. Now, I'm not going negating everything you've said, because obviously we do have organizations that don't need an army, like corporations and things like that because they're protected by legal ramifications however if you inject a group like the jedi into the international state system my argument is is that the united nations nato whichever you know transnational organization or multinational organization you want to talk about would never allow them to exist as an independent body because they represent a possible threat even if we know, like, oh, okay, they're Jedi, so therefore they're good, there is still a chance, however slim, that they might fall to either to the dark side or just decide to seize power for their own Jedi code reasons. Thus, I would argue that from a realist perspective, the United States would immediately be like, hell's to the fucking no. The Jedi Council can exist, but they must be under the civilian control of the United Nations. They would become a... They, I agree with you that they would become a, like a peacekeeping force, but not independent. They would be under the thumb of the United Nations, which is what my problem with the whole Star Wars universe has always been. Why the fuck would the Republic allow the Jedi to exist as this independent body running around the galaxy and negotiating trade when they represent a credible threat to that get to that galactic government. So wait, hang on. So you agree that the that the Jedi would only be concerned with the good of the unit of the galaxy, right? Yes, uh, as long as they remain Jedi, I I, I I agree with that. Okay, but some of them could turn, right? Well, the thing is, is that what what it, what a Jedi's good to the international state system may be it might not be the good that anybody else seeks. For instance. If the Jedi are acting against American interests in Africa, they might be doing the right thing. 
that America's interests might be impeached. What if, let's say that the Jedi got involved in the Middle Eastern conflict and attempted to negotiate a peace settlement between, I don't know, let's say Al-Assad and the rebel movements. Yeah. I mean, people would get super pissed off about that. You know, Saudi Arabia would start getting pissed off. Iran would start getting pissed off. Russia would start getting pissed off. So that creates a real tension. The Jedi are still doing a good thing in quotation marks, but it's who's good is are they doing? So from a realist perspective, Russia might not know. And also Russia can't just assume that the Jedi are necessarily good. You know, I don't know if Putin's a Star Wars fan. He might not have even watched the Star Wars movies. I think Putin was born in the Star Wars movies. He's like a, <laughs> he's like a natural villain from, from that franchise. Um, but, but, but when the, when the Jedi Council has been confronted with this sort of conflict in the past or this pushback from the international community, one, they're not that concerned about it because they don't really care. They, they just want peace and justice. And if that means negotiating between the parties involved in the conflict, like other side and the, and the rebel movement, then, then they would go ahead with that. I don't think they would hold back because someone else doesn't like it. Like, uh, you know, if, if Jabba the Hutt weren't so pleased with the trade regulations surrounding Tatooine and the, and the Jedi force was, was the Jedi were there to enforce it, then they don't really care what Jabba the Hutt would have to say about that. And secondly, if they did have such strong international pushback from, um, interference, then they probably wouldn't get involved because they would let the, they would let the primary actors do it themselves. If the primary actors couldn't do it themselves, they would step in and they wouldn't care. So there would be a balancing act performed there, but that's why they are near masters of diplomacy. I would think that they would successfully manage that and manage their own international independence. Okay, I see what you're saying. To a certain extent, I agree with you that there would be a balancing force, but I don't agree that it would go the way you're saying. There is a there is a problem in when comparing the current international state system and the state system that exists in the Star Wars universe. In the Star Wars universe, in the first three, in the original, in the new three movies, you, there is only one international actor, uh, that has large power. Only one actor that could really take on the Jedi, and that's the Republic. I mean, the Trade Federation, if, like, hypothetically fought a war with the Jedi, the Jedi would win, because they don't really, well, I, I suppose, you know, they, they actually, no, they would probably win against that as well. But my argument is, is that in our world, we have many multiple state actors. So, why wouldn't, let's say, when, let's say if the Jedi are, want to negotiate peace, which is in their best, which is in their interest because they're Jedi. Now, let's say that Putin says, no, you can't do that. So they're like, okay, we have to pull out of that arena. And then they want to negotiate peace in, I don't know, Sudan. Somebody's going to get pissed off about that as well. Wherever they go to negotiate some kind of settlement, they are going to be confronted by antagonism from another party. I would argue that in that situation, the Jedi have a choice. One, stay out of politics altogether because it's very difficult. Actually, three choices. One, stay out of politics altogether. Try and just be a lame duck because nobody's going to listen to them or seize power. And even though it's bad, but I would imagine that you could make the argument from the standpoint of the Jedi Code that an international state system led by the Jedi with the Jedi in charge would be much more peaceful than one that isn't. But they've never sought that. The Jedi have never sought complete control of any system or of any galaxy. But I would argue that that is itself a why the Star Wars 
why the Star Wars system cannot work because I don't see why the Jedi wouldn't seek that control for the betterment of all. I don't think they fancy themselves as political leaders. That's why I think they, they would think that they would fail at that. They do not think of themselves as the Republic. They do not think of themselves as the House of the Senate. And I think your analysis is, is actually wrong because they don't have four choices. And you underestimate how many state actors exist in the Star Wars galaxy. In the Star Wars galaxy, they have there are multiple systems and you are only thinking of the Republic and the Republic functions like the United Nations where each system gets a representative. Each system acting effectively like in our world as a state. They have, ma- they have successfully for over 20,000 galaxy years, manage that system where they don't resp- uh, act out upon the Republic's orders and they do not are not held accountable by it. They manage the, the, the direct conflict um, that is between the primary actors, between systems, and they're not concerned with the periphery. The core systems involved in a conflict are the ones that the Jedi Council deal with if they think that no one else can manage it, if they think that negotiations and intervention is required, or, or mediation at least. But they do, they do not feel responsible for explaining their actions to people who might not be that as, as close to the conflict. So going back to your example of the Middle East, or at least the Syrian conflict, I don't think they would feel the need to explain themselves to, to Vladimir Putin. They would not take orders from him if, if he told the Jedi Council, stay out of the conflict. They would probably go ahead anyway, provided... No one else was showing enough interest in the primary actors, i.e. the uh, Assad's regime and the Syrian rebel movement. So if, it, if those two actors said to the Jedi Council, listen, we're not getting anywhere, and the Jedi Council said, right, we need to find a solution, let us be the ones to do so, I don't care how much multi, uh, multi-state pressure came from the periphery of that conflict, they wouldn't obey. They wouldn't, they wouldn't bother listening to it. Okay, but there's a, there's a problem with your analysis as well, and the problem is is that in the... Jedi universe in the in the Star Wars universe that universe is not an anarchic system and the anarchic state um, nature of our state system is important to take into account so for those listening what we mean by an anarchic state system is one in which there is no overarching coercive authority so the United Nations has no authority to go to war with anybody basically making everybody on the state system everybody in the state system equal in terms of what they can and cannot do. That doesn't exist in the Star Wars universe. You either have the Republic, which is capable of going to war, or you have the Empire, which is capable of doing the same thing. Now, let's say let's say that the Jedi get involved in the Middle East conflict. And let me take another example. Let's say Palestine and Israel. Okay, they get involved. They want to negotiate a peace settlement. Now, even, yes. even if those two sides were amicable, to come into some kind of agreement with Jedi help. What if yes. Iran decides we cannot allow this peace treaty to go forward? What's to stop Iran from attacking the Jedi? And why, I mean, in the Star Wars universe, if somebody attacks the Jedi, they attack the Republic. And I imagine that in the Star Wars universe, if you had, let's say you've got Alderaan, and Alderaan suddenly gets taken over by a dictator who's ruthlessly killing the people, what the Republic will immediately dispatch the Jedi to try and quell the situation and maybe the army if that doesn't work. You can't do that in our world. In our world, the Jedi go by themselves. They're not under the authority of anybody. So, A, I don't see why states would accept their authority to negotiate. But even if they do, like even if states perceive them as a religious group similar to the Vatican, let's say yeah. the 
the Jedi come in, they start negotiations. Iran could then be like, hey, motherfuckers, you can't do this. We don't want this, uh, this treaty to go forward. We're going to bomb the shit out of you guys. What? And that's, I, I, like, that is absolutely I think that's very possible. simplistic analysis, Peter. Why? But first of all, what is Iran going to bomb? And secondly, if they had identifiable targets for the Jedi Council, I think the Jedi Council would be forced to protect themselves. And do you think, it, as, as rogue as Iran is, that they would take on a force as strong as the Jedi Council? They've got an entire academy to deal I with. I think it's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time before some states decide to take action against an independent power that holds a very strong ability to coerce people that is making change in the real world without any political affiliation. Uh, whether it's Iran no, or Russia no. or even America, eventually somebody is going to take issue. If that were true, someone were going to take issue, then, then there would be no argument for collective security. The fact that the Jedi Council represents collective security for the majority of states does not mean, it means that the minority of states that might be affected once in a blue moon are not going to take on the whole system. That's the way Interpol works. That's the way United Nations works. That's the way NATO works. That's the way any peacekeeping force works. That's the way the AU peacekeeping force works. It's sure, my country might be affected somewhere along the line. But until then, I'm actually gaining protection and security from these people. Why would I want to take them on? Because if Iran were to interfere in the peaceful negotiations, the Jedi negotiations of uh, an amicable Israel and Palestine, then Iran would be the only one challenging and they would probably be shut down either by the rest of the international community or by the Jedi themselves. Or if not the primary actors, if the, if, if the, if the Israel and Palestine are truly amicable, they would probably take Israel to task for it themselves. And I can see what you're saying, but your argument only works if the Jedi Sorry, have... Sorry, I say Israel, I meant Iran. You're right. The, your argument only works if the Jedi Council has legitimate political authority, which they do not in this situation, they, so all your examples of the AU, the United Nations, uh, Interpol, those are all intergovernmental organizations that have been granted authority by their member states. The Jedi Council has no such authority. So there is no legitimation of their power. Their only power the, there is no legitimation. Nobody gives them any authority to do what they would, which is why I'm saying that this system can only function in a, as, a, as a collective security mecha- mechanism if the Jedi Council is integrated into the United Nations. No, I, dis- I still disagree. I still think that, and let this be the last thing I say because it's time <laughs> to wrap up. I, yes, your point is valid. They do need political legitimacy, but I think that can be negotiated. I think that's a stepping stone. They wouldn't necessarily have to be under the thumb or subsidiary of the United Nations, but they would have to have some political treaty with an international organization body where they would at least not necessarily be taken to task for or have to account to, but at least provide reports to um, or at least interact with such a, with an organization like the UN where they would say, right, um, the, the only way Israel and Palestine could come to us, the Jedi Council, for help is if they pleaded with the UN to do so. So if representatives, for example, from Israel and Palestine were to go to the UN and say, we seek the help of the Jedi Council, then emissaries could be sent. Um, but there would have to be some political affiliation of the Jedi Council for them to be an, an entirely politically, uh, an apolitical organization is is immature, but they don't need to be a, a, a sub-body or a functioning body 
subsidiary, should I say. I'll concede. I'll con- so uh, I think that we've actually reached a, a middle ground here. You agree that there has to be some kind of legitimization of their power. I'll concede that they don't necessarily have to be subsumed into the international state bureaucracy, but their power does need to be legitimized by the system itself. I think there needs to be some symbolic um, gesture to symbolize the mutual agreement between the Jedi Council and whichever political body they're going to have a relationship with. So, you know, we, we can see that with the, with the Galactic Republic in Star Wars. And, and if, if in our universe it's the UN, then they should, they should symbolize um, their agreement in some form of treaty. But, not, but more in a partnership rather than in a sublimation. No, sublimation is the wrong word. Um, okay, so that's I, I concede those points. I think it would be interesting to see. However, how is your system going to deal with the possibility of Jedi falling to the dark side? Who's going to take care of that? The international criminal system or the Jedi themselves? Of course, it will have to be the Jedi themselves. That should probably be the biggest condition of their existence, is that if that is the greatest risk of allowing the Jedi, Academy, the Jedi Council to exist, allowing Jedi to exist and function within that organization, then they have to take it upon themselves to deal with any Sith rebellion or any Sith opposition that could arise. But that's a, that's a serious world threat, though. I mean, that's like weapon of mass destruction level threat, a Sith Lord rising yeah. up and destroying the Jedi. Well, don't underestimate the power of the Jedi as well. But they, we already saw them get fucked up a couple of times. We know that that's happened. Just because the Jedi Council should be the, the lead or the primary wall of defense against the Sith uprising doesn't mean it need to be the only one. They could certainly be backed up um, by a clone army, for example. Oh my, what? You're going to give the Jedi Council a clone army? No, no, no. I won't give them a clone army. I'll give them an ally who has a clone army. Okay, so let's, let's end it I off. I don't really want to get into that. Okay, so... It's a great point, though. It's a really good point. Okay, so... Yeah, okay, I can see your point. So I still think that the... I, I, I'm still sticking to my guns. I, I agree with you that the Jedi could work for the good of the world, but I think that they need to be more politically legitimated than you've made them out to be. I think you're trusting the Jedi a little bit too much. No, I think you're, I think you're underestimating them. Oh, the goodness of the Jedi code? Of course, okay. they like our philosopher kings. Come on, give them Yeah, a until break. they fall to the dark side, until everything goes barely up. That's... Everybody's happy until somebody get loses an eye. That's that's the situation we've got here. <laughs> the only historical record we have of that is Anakin Skywalker. Uh, what about the Seth? Seth no, okay, no, I'm not getting into the computer games. <laughs> okay, yes, okay. So, guys, I think that we've reached another point. This is a super interesting argument. I'd love to hear from our internationally uh, relations-minded listeners about what you think should happen in the real world if the Jedi become real. As a final footnote, the music used in this episode is obviously the Star Wars main title theme, which is a very boring name for that song. Apparently the script refers to it as War Drums. It was composed by John Williams and performed by the London Symphony Orchestra and was conducted by John Williams himself. Thanks for listening, guys. We hope you enjoyed that. We'll upload the episode onto our website, lanzaleviathan.com. You can find it all there along with all our other SoundCloud tracks. And if you'd like any updates on the website, please don't be shy to subscribe to our RSS feed that is also there. We also look forward to hearing your comments and feedback. Send us an email at landsaleviathan at gmail.com. It's L-A-N-D-S-O-F-L-E-V-I-A-T-H-A-N. And you can also find us on Facebook as well as Twitter um, under the Lands of Leviathan podcast. 
and you can also listen to our tracks directly on your Android or iPhone um, via the SoundCloud or iTunes app. Hope you enjoyed it, guys. Thanks so much.